Hello. So just FYI, I have a presentation behind me. And here it is on my phone. <laughs> so if I look down on my phone, it's because I'm looking at my own notes. Um, and we're trying to get a print out of them so I don't have to scroll like that. But if it happens that we can't, that's what that is. I'm not checking my text messages. <laughs> OK, so um, like she mentioned, my name is Giselle. And um, I had Granola Babies, which was a store that was based on sustainability and eco-friendly for over 10 years. On part of that, I also did education, which I continue to do. Um, and I closed Granola Babies, the store, in the middle of 2017. I still do get text messages asking if I have something in stock. <laughs> and it's been two years. So great business plan. If somebody is thinking about opening a store, they should. I've been saying that for two years. I'm like, someone needs to open something similar because I honestly still get you know, messages asking. Um, OK, so I also don't have control of uh, switching the slides. So. Sorry, it'll be if you can change it. Okay, so um, a little about me. I have four kids. Uh, I have a almost 15-year-old girl. Uh, she's gonna be 15 in January, and it's been amazing having a teenage daughter, which was my biggest fear in the whole world when I found out I was gonna have a girl, because I thought I would only have boys. I thought I'd have six boys, actually. I have four kids, but I thought I would have six boys and my body could not possibly produce a girl because I only know how to like, you know, handle boys. And, um, and I was great with little boys and playing with them. And then I find out I'm pregnant and it's a girl. <laughs> I'm like, oh no, you know, all my friends were uh, in high school who had, um, with their moms, they always were complaining about their moms when they were teenagers. I don't know, did anybody else, actually did anybody growing up when you were a teenager did you think your mom, like you could go talk to her about anything and everything? Can you raise, okay, right? So there's, one, there's two. So what I did was from the time she was born, I would seek you out and you out, and I would ask you, what did your mom do? <laughs> and I asked every woman that said my, my mom did that, like I could go to her, I would ask, what did your mom do? And... Um, most of the people, almost all of them, like 99% of the women that answered said the same thing in different words. So I did that. And now my daughter can come and tell me anything. And so it's amazing having a teenage daughter. And by the way, the answer was she listened without judgment. That was it. I don't know if it was the same for you guys, but that was it. It was basically she listened without judgment. So I could tell her anything. I'm like, okay, as soon as she could talk, <laughs> I'll be like, I'll practice that. And that's, that's how it was. So um, then I have three boys. I have a 12-year-old boy, a 10-year-old boy, and a 6-year-old boy. And um, I also have been trained and worked as a postpartum doula. So if you're not familiar with that, postpartum doula is someone who comes and mothers the mother after the baby's born, usually for about 6 to 12 weeks. I don't work as a postpartum doula anymore just because flexibility of time, but um, I did that. And I'm a gentle sleep coach. And I'm a childbirth educator, which I do regularly. I teach labor and postpartum classes. Um, and I'm a certified positive parenting educator because I needed that, obviously. When I had four kids, um, I was like, okay, I need some tools that don't involve how I was raised, you know, which, um, and so positive parenting did that for me. And now I teach it as well. And I'm a certified lactation educator, so I've been doing you know, breastfeeding support forever, forever and ever. Um, a Reiki II practitioner, and then the really fulfilling job that I've gotten to do since last year is teaching nurses the baby-friendly initiative course. If, if you gave birth, for example, at Hogue or Saddleback, or Mission Hospital, these are hospitals that are all baby-friendly initiative hospitals, there's other hospitals. All of their nurses have to take a two-hour, excuse me, a two-day course, which teaches them how to support the mom in breastfeeding and how to build her confidence before she leaves the hospital. I get to teach that course to the nurses. So it's so much fun <laughs> because I'm like, 
I got what all the moms tell me. So let me like help you make sure that when she leaves that hospital, she says, my nurse was so amazing. And it's because of her that I felt confident that I could do this. Um, so that's been really fun to do. Uh, okay, so that's about me. Um, what I'd like to learn is a little bit about you guys. Um, so let's see, who has one child or who has, yeah. Okay, who has more than one? Okay, two, three, hey, four, hey, okay, five, all right, everybody's like, no, four, four, okay, um, okay, and then do you mostly, obviously you have little babies, who has um, kids under five? Okay, kids over five. Hey, I picked a good number. <laughs> okay, so five and under we're dealing with. Okay, cool. That's ages I know really well. Okay, um, what we're going to talk about is some of the things to set up for good sleep um, and then the holiday part. So because you may have stuff in place already, but then you know holidays come along and they kind of ruin everything, even though they're really fun. This is all the dinners and the plants and all the different things we do. So we're going to incorporate that into it as well. Um, okay, if we could do the next slide. Okay, so first I think it's important to just go over what my, um, what my sleep philosophy is. It doesn't match everybody, for sure. You know, and if, if it doesn't, there's always somebody for whatever style people do. But this is my sleep philosophy. So it's based on secure attachment, which that course I was talking about with the Baby Friendly Initiative is also based on secure attachment. So it's got a lot of the studies and the research backing it up. And that's what the hospitals are using to help support the moms. Um, secure attachment is basically the... The, uh, and it's been studied, um, but it's the philosophy that a child has a, the first five years of life to build a secure attachment to their primary care provider. So usually parent number one, parent number two. Um, the first three years are the most important. Um, and that in being responsive to that child, so child says, I need this, the parent is responsive to it, and they repeat that pattern over and over and over and over and over and over and over again, <laughs> and they're constantly being responsive to the child, the child then builds a secure base where they know my parent is always there for me. Every time I needed my parent, they're always there for me. And through that process of that pattern, when the time comes when you can't be there for them, meaning I'm in the middle of going to the bathroom <laughs> and my child needs me right now, they're not insecure about it. They might fuzz about it, obviously, because they want you right now when they want you, but because you spend that time being responsive all the time to them, they know she's always there, she's gonna be there. Oh, look, I knew she was gonna come. You know? <laughs> and so that's the basis of the secure attachment. As opposed to where sometimes you're there, sometimes you're not, Sometimes you're responsive quicker, sometimes you wait a little bit, and it's all in the beginning. You haven't yet built that pattern. At that point, then the child gets confused, and they're like, I don't know if they're going to be there for me, because sometimes they are, sometimes they're not. I'm not really sure. Um, I've had Help Me Grow, which would be a really good person to come and talk here, actually. Help Me Grow is a nonprofit that helps connect parents to their resources, their community resources. And she came and she talked in one of the classes and she talked about secure attachment as well. And obviously the group of moms were all you know, married or in relationships, so not super applicable, but um, she says, you know, if you ever have to online date, your first question should be, so who's your secure attachment? <laughs> because those people who don't have it are the ones who have a hard time with codependency and not emotional available because they're not sure how to secure and healthy attach to people. So anyway, so everything I do actually as a business is based on that concept. Um, so again, being responsive emotionally and physical support, both day and night. Um, 
I also obviously have a sleep philosophy that if you're super tired as a parent, you don't tend to parent really well. <laughs> you know, your fuse is about this short when you're really tired. And you're a lot more, I mean, I, I, when I was starting to get more sleep again, I honestly felt like I could wake up in the morning and be like, the hills are alive, you know, we're <laughs> good morning <laughs> to everybody. Whereas before, when I didn't have sleep, it would be like, good morning. Stop it, you know, like everything's just really short fuse. So it's helpful to be rested as a parent. Um, under four months old, a lot of what they're doing is biological needs. They don't yet have strong preferences. And as smart as babies are, they're not so smart that they're capable of manipulation early on. It's just that is a very advanced skill. I mean, they get there, but if anybody that's got the, anybody that's got the little kids, they know they get there, but not, not as young babies. It's just too, too much of a developed skill to be able to do. So a lot of their needs are truly needs, and their needs to be met, their biological needs. That starts to shift a little bit. They still will have needs from, you know, from then on, um, but some of those needs at around four months of age are gonna become preferences. Like, um, I really like that. I really like that. I'm gonna use nursing because it's the most common one. And, um, and I'm very pro-nursing. I nurse my kids until way past the age where they could ask for it. And that used to be something I would say when I was 20 and I knew everything about parenting before I was even married and had a kid. And one of the things I said was, if they could ask for it, they're too old for it. That was my philosophy at like 23. And then I breastfed till way past, <laughs> way past the age that they could ask for it. So um, I'm very pro-nursing, but nursing is one of the ways that we, it's easy to put a, a child to sleep. So I'm gonna just use nursing as an example. So at one point that nursing was, I need, I need that touch and, and that milk and I need it as part of my development to get all that touch from you. And then later it becomes, I really like it. So if you could just keep doing that from, you know, whenever <laughs> and always nurse me to sleep, that would be great because I like it. You know, then that, there's a change with that. I also like to point out that even when that need became a preference, sometimes it goes right back to being a need. Like if they're sick or they're going through teething, that now is like, I need extra touch. Or you start and you went back to work. There, believe me, your child senses when there's changes in the family. So then it becomes a need again. So you have to be able to navigate that as well. Um, and then this one's really big. Anyone that's got toddlers, if you're at the park and your toddler's like playing really, really hard in the park and into their game, would you ever just be like, okay, Johnny time, let's go. Let's go. You know, and get no tantrum at all. <laughs> They'd be like, great, that'd be great. Thank you, mom. No, like, they would not, they don't do well without transitions. And you have to, tra hey, Johnny, it's going to be 10 minutes. Okay, I'm going to put the timer. It'll be 10 minutes, and then we'll be leaving. It's five minutes, and then we'll be leaving. Hey, it's going to be three minutes, and then we'll be, it's those little transitions. Same thing with babies. Um, if we're doing sleep changes, I'm, I'm working with baby steps through them because I want to make sure that there's no backtracking, meaning the baby doesn't become really clingy or the child doesn't become really clingy or act up negatively because we moved way too fast. Okay, any questions with that? Does that make sense? Okay, so um, if you want this presentation, by the way, um, you can, I didn't bring a list for emails, but, because I'm not going to read through the, all the different studies, not all of them, there's like three pages of them. But if you want the studies, we'll figure out a way that, or if you want the presentation, we'll figure out a way for you guys to get a copy of it. Um, but I wanted to put some of the um, studies in there. Human babies are born very dependent on their parents. They undergo huge brain development, growth, and neuron pruning in the first two years of life. The brain development of infants, as well as their social, emotional, and cognitive development, depends on a loving bond or attachment relationship with a primary caregiver, usually a parent. So that's one of the studies. Um, can you change the slide? 
Responsive and contingent parenting produces securely attached children who show more curiosity, self-reliance, and independence. Securely attached children also tend to become more resilient and competent adults. In contrast, those who, not, who do not experience a secure attachment with their caregivers may have difficulty getting along with others and be unable to develop a sense of confidence or trust in others. And there's one more, and if you'd like it, it pretty, pretty much says the same thing. And I could have gone on and on. I'm like, you yeah, know, I think three's enough. You know, I'll just put that. Um, but it basically is the, it's the research is sensitive, responsive, Parenting produces secure, independent children. It's not, the, it's, it's not what some people would think, oh, but if I touch tomorrow and I'm always answering, I'm always there, they're going to be really dependent on me and really clingy. It's actually the complete opposite is what they found. Okay. Um, so with that foundation, let's talk about some things to get into good sleep. Okay. Um, so do your basics. Um, I think it's easy for us to be like, oh, I know their cycle. I'm just, and I, I'm obviously talking to them. It, there are moms who are like, no, I've got the sleep down. Then, then you're good. This is more like I'm still struggling with naps. I'm still struggling with bedtime. Or bedtime takes an hour. Or I have several wake-ups um, happening. So um, as opposed to just putting your routine of what you think is the routine for your child, keep in mind we are... So um, our brain cells were taking, some of them were taken in pregnancy. And then that's scientific too. I thought it was just like what people say and then I looked it up. It's actually based on science. They take our brain cells. And so then as moms, we forget a lot. So what we think is happening isn't always what's actually happening. So um, you guys are like, yes, <laughs> I know. I know. I mean, I have to write everything down. If I don't write it down, it doesn't stick at all. Okay. So, do you know your baby's sleep and wake cycle? If um, do you have a routine in place that is consistent and predictable? Do you have time to make gradual changes? So, um, knowing your and we'll talk about how to do each one. But number three being, do you have time, is don't make changes if you're about to go on vacation in a week or two, or you have tons of family visiting, or you're about to start work in, you know, in, a, in the next few weeks, or, um, or you have, and keep in mind, it's not just the baby's life changes, it's your life changes too. Kids pick up on everything. So if there's big life changes happening for in your, within your family, then I would say, you know, let's wait. Let's wait until we get past, or let's start setting a foundation, but let's not make a lot of changes while we're doing that. Um, okay, so how to track and learn your baby's cycle. Here's what I actually recommend is writing it down. So you can physically write it down or just get a notepad or in your phone, like the notepad or Google Keeps or any sort of digital way to write it down. And what you're going to write down is every single sleep cue that your baby or toddler has. And I have an article up on my website on, and it's just gisalbomay.com on catching the sleep cues beyond the obvious. Because I work with parents all the time that are not aware of all of the sleep cues that their baby might have. And we all know this, you know, and that. We're like, oh, okay, those two. There's actually about eight more, you know, that children do that are also sleep cues. Um, there was one I was talking to a dad and I was, you know, I was explaining because I wasn't getting the sleep cues. He wasn't writing down a lot of sleep cues. I'm like, there are sleep cues in there. So I went through some of the lists and one of them is jerky movements, you know, and just like, you know, like this. And he's like, oh, she walks around sometimes right before bedtime. And she's like, you know, going like that. I'm like, that is a CQ, so if we could write that down. Um, there's also where they get, you know, like they're frowning. It's like they're tired, so they don't really know what to do with their face. So it's like, uh, and then you can test it out. So you can say, I don't know, is it? Write it down, because within 20, 30 minutes, you're going to see another thing, like fuzziness. And then you can go back and say, okay, that was a CQ. So you have to learn all your sleep cues. So you write them all down. You write all the wake times, so the times that your child wakes, wakes up, and all the sleep cues. And then um, all of your activities that you do in the day, and then how long they're sleeping. So the wake times matter 
more than, if you notice, nowhere in there do I have the time they fell asleep because a lot of times they're going to sleep overtired. So it doesn't matter what time you put them to sleep in, in terms of your tracking, you're looking for the sleep cue because that was actually when they were tired. Kids don't get tired and then it's like, oh, they're tired, but they can just keep going. They, when they're tired, they're tired. Like they're actually ready to go to sleep, but they may not recognize it as tired. They might be waiting for overtired to actually be put to sleep. And overtired is that fuzziness, acting up, having tantrums, crying, restlessness, overplay, meaning you went to the sleep cue and then tired and then over, overtired, overactivity is where all of a sudden it's like, wow, they're playing. They're like so active. And actually they're like overactivity. They're super tired. So you want to put them down at the early cue. So you write all that down for like a week and then show it to somebody else. Have them read it and say, can you tell me my pattern? Because that's another thing. I'll get seven days of these. And a lot of times the parents can't see the pattern. They're like, I don't see it. And that pattern is so predictable that by the time I'm done reading and I'm reading it and writing down notes, by the fourth or fifth day, I, can, I know when that baby's going to get tired again. And then I just use the fifth, sixth, and seventh day to prove the concept that there's a, a pattern. So have somebody else look at your pattern. They'll, they'll pick it up. Now you know your baby's sleep and wake cycle. Now you know how many hours it's going to be from the time they wake up that your child's going to get tired again. And then you build a whole routine based around that. And it's a super predictable routine. If you have toddlers, you'll probably, well, most toddlers, not all of them, but if you have toddlers, you might hear a lot of like, what are we going to do next? What are we going to do next? What about next? What about now? What about now? Like asking, what, what are we going to do today? They like to know what's happening. They like predictable patterns. That's why preschoolers do actually really good in preschool. And, day, and, uh, and daycare babies usually sleep really well in daycare. And then they get home and they're like, I can't, I can't do it. We, Saturday and Sundays, there's no naps. But they sleep really well on you know, Monday through Friday. It's because there's a really predictable routine that happens. Um, if anybody's a preschool teacher, I'll always ask, what happens if tomorrow we just throw the routine to the wind, and we're just going to do whatever. And they're like, no, no, you know, because all the toddlers will go crazy. They like routine, so I strongly recommend having a routine. Okay, so I went through already what you would do. Um, you'll basically, you'll analyze it, you'll start it, and you'll create your new routine, and then you're going to do that for a week. And then you'll find out, oh, okay, I was overambitious with that, and, and then you'll tweak it, and that's your routine. And then you're going to write it out. Monday through Monday, because Saturday and Sunday means nothing to your kid. Like, it should be exactly the same seven days a week. Your activities in between can change, but your follow of your um, patterns need to be the same. Does that make sense? Okay. If the next slide. Um, here's the key to sleep training is basically understanding the concept that how your child fell asleep is what they're going to look for when they wake up. So whether it was, or a variation of it is what they're going to look for. So if it was touch, if you had to rock them to sleep, fully asleep, and then put them down, when they wake up, they're like, uh, I need that touch, I need that rock, I need whatever, you know, I need that thing that I had when I fell asleep. So whatever it is that you do, is perfectly okay as long as you're perfectly okay with it. So at one point, whatever you're doing just doesn't, like you're done. Like I, I don't wanna have to do that all the time. I don't want to have to do the wake ups and then repeat the same pattern all the time. That's when you know you're ready for change. Otherwise, there's no right or wrong. If it's working for the parent, it's working for the parent. So, on the next one. So when it's not working, if it reaches, um, you can turn to the next slide. So when it reaches a point where it's not working anymore, you'd like to make a change, all you do is say, okay, we are rocking all the way down to sleep. I would like to just put him down drowsy and then um, kiss him goodnight and then walk out of the room and he falls asleep when he falls asleep without him like fuzzing or crying down to sleep. Like, like I'd like to go from here to here. Um, 
So obviously, you're not going to do the first, based on the fact you know, that you've had predictable patterns and based on the fact that, um, that kids do really a lot better with transitions, you're not going to go day one. Okay, so we rocked you to sleep last night. Today, I'm just going to put you down on the bed and walk away, and it'll be fine. Like, it's not going to actually be fine. You're going to have a lot of upsetness, which can then peel down to the daytime. You like, a lot of times you can see the effects of it. Um, so instead, you're going to build little transitions to get you. And you can write these down. I mean, however way you do it, it really doesn't matter. You can go from, I'm going to rock and then put him down, or I'm going to rock all the way to almost out, like very, very drowsy. And then I'm going to put him down. Of course, he's going to wake up, so I'm going to pick him back up again. I'm going to drowsy to very drowsy, and then put him down. And I'm going to teach him this new pattern for a while until he learns that pattern. Once he's learned that pattern, I'm going to change it. I'm going to do a little less drowsy. So now I'll rock, and then a little less drowsy, and then repeat that <laughs> pattern until they learn that. And then you just baby step your way to where you just are able to put him down drowsy. Recognizing that it's going to take time, because if it took however long, to build the patterns that you did, you should give it time to process those patterns out um, and that you need to be consistent throughout. The other thing is super important. You need to watch your own energy. So you know by now, like you are your, the mirror. You both mirror each other. So if your child's super happy, you're super happy. If your child's frustrated, you're trying really hard not to get frustrated. Um, same thing if you're making a change and your child doesn't like it. Um, if you're also getting upset, you're like, oh, I, want, I really needed him to sleep, he's not falling asleep, it's been 45 minutes, and you're getting too upset, upset. What, is your child going, oh, I should sleep, you know? Like, instead, they're like, oh my God, she's freaking out, and this is not good, and I should also freak out too. And you're both freaking out together, and it's not leading anywhere. So your energy just needs to be, I have a routine in place. I feel really good about the change I'm making. All I'm doing is setting a boundary as a parent. And when you don't like it, I'm still responding to you. I'm just responding in a different way, but I'm still responding to you. So that's the next slide is oh, there. It's just being responsive. It's a different kind of responsive than what you've been doing, but you're still being responsive. And you're saying, I understand you don't, you're not saying all these words, but in your mind, I understand you don't like the new boundary that I've set in place as a parent, but I'm right here with you. Because um, our job as parents is to not, it's not our job as parents to make sure our kids are never unhappy. Like, that's, that's impossible. Your, your child will be upset at one point, and they're going to go through disappointments, and they're going to have negative emotions. They're entitled to their negative emotions. So you can separate yourself, meaning you don't own their emotions. So it's not really our jobs to say, you're sad. I need to make you happy. I need to make you happy. You know, instead it's like, you're sad. I'm going to support you through that so that you can build emotional maturity through your emotions. Right? Does that make sense? Okay. So now you know how to sleep train your baby <laughs> or your toddler. Any questions before we move into the holidays? Yeah. How would you address um, responsiveness during like a sleep regression or feeding or sickness to Yes. Yes. So that happens a lot, where, where you set up a whole thing, and it's working, and then they're teething, because they're always teething. And, and then you go right back to the thing, and then you're going back and forth all the time. So I do make, um, or I'm really understanding to teething. First is try to take the pain away in some sort, whether it's natural remedies or Motrin, but just relieve the pain in some way. Um, or they're sick, they have colds, so you're providing relief. And then you go back one step. So not all the way to, I'm going to rock you all the way down to sleep. Um, but, and now, like, we got to a point where I can put you down drowsy. I'm going to rock you a little bit till you get really drowsy. And then I'm going to put you down. So I just went back one step. And then as soon as they're better, I'm going forward again, as opposed to going all the way back. Like, there was one mom that emailed me last night. They had gotten to the point where their baby was sleeping all through the night, and it was a whole journey because it was 
Sleep training is a lot of parent education. <laughs> like the babies would be like, yes, just please do this. But it's a lot of educating the parent, you know, to get them to, to do it. She went back all the way, like to, to all the way, to nursing all the way down to sleep. So they're back at step one. And we were done like two months ago. So now I'm, she sent me an email, she's like, I know it, what do I do? I'm like, we're, redo the whole thing that you did, you know, that took you two months to do. So it's just, if she had gone back just one step, it would have been a lot easier. Yeah, so I actually never do any form of um, crying it out, meaning like they're on their own to cry it out. So if, if they're going through, um, let's say it's, it's, that change is really hard. It's like, oh my gosh, we've been at this change for five, six, seven, you know, two, two weeks, and we're still not able to move forward because they're always fighting it, then I would have to check myself and say, is my routine in place? Am I being, you know, extra responsive during the daytime? Are there any changes going on that could be affecting it? Is, is the child getting enough active play? Is there nutrition okay? So I would first check myself. And then let's say all those things are in place, then I would stay in that step until they were ready to move forward. So um, I don't ever, personally, it's part of my sleep philosophy, I don't ever just say they'll figure it out. They can, absolutely. They can figure it out and they can cry. But it's, to me, just everything I know from secure attachment, I'm not going to do that. So I'm going to still be responsive throughout and just write it out and until they're able to progress to the next step. But I'm not stopping the child from crying. I'm just supporting them emotionally, sometimes physically, through their upsetting. <laughs> Actually, I shouldn't even do this because I'm way dried. I'm like, I have nothing here. Okay, so um, sometimes is, um, so if the mom, I, I do recommend the mom also do it as well, you know, but sometimes it's obviously easier when, when it's the other partner, the other parent doing it. But, I, but, the, but what happens is it's not like the child, the child will have to still go through it with you. So at one point they'll go through it. Um, you, you feed about half hour before so that you are 100% sure of yourself that that feeding was taken care of. So I don't have that guilt trip. <laughs> they got that food. Um, and then when you get to the point where you're not nursing to sleep, you do some other very touchy thing. You know, it could be the rocking, it could be this, but some sort of touch because a lot of that um, nurturing happened with the touch. And you ride that out. And, and, you know, you're going to get, ah, you know, like, ah, you know, this, trying to get the milk. And you're like, I love you. It's time to sleep. I love you. Sometimes you have to hold them a little different, you know. It's like, I love you. It's time to sleep. I love you. It's time to sleep. And, you know, and you just ride it out until they realize, fine, I'm not getting milk, but she's holding me. So I'm good, you know. And then once they get used to that, you move on to the next step. It's, it's total, it doesn't feel doable, um, but it's totally doable. Yeah. Now, what happens if the mom does that and it's been 45 minutes and then she's like, okay, fine. And then she nurses him to sleep. So what you just taught the child was, oh, okay, got it. So I cry about 45 minutes <laughs> and then I get the milk. And so then it just takes longer. It's that confusing pattern. So they can be really confusing because you're not sure. Is that because they're leaping and having some sort of developmental growth or is that a sleep cue? So you keep tracking and, and you'll figure out your own pattern before then. So if, if you go through a week and you know it's a leap, then you're in track for another week until that leap is over and you'll see your own pattern. And so now you know your pattern and they're extra fussy. So you know 
this is not normal. This is not their normal. This is a quirky day, but it's not my normal. And so then I just remember my normal and stick to that. Yeah. So keep in mind, they, when they're fuzzing, you are actually always there. Yeah. You're just providing some other form of comfort. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 I, well, I think if, if, the, if a child's climbing out of the crib, they're ready for a toddler bed. Or you can do a floor bed as well. Um, but I would, what I normally do for the recommendation with that, is I make sure everything, all the bases are in place. So there's the routine in place, and there's, I, I understand their sleep patterns. So always those have to be in place. And then we're going to start talking about the fact that you're going to get a, 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 a bed, a regular bed. And so then we're going to get the child involved and picking out the bed, and picking out the bedding, and then we're gonna start with um, not sleeping next to them, but sitting next to them as they fall asleep and they get comfortable in that, and then we just work our way out. Yeah, but I'm not super pro when it's like, because no one's usually happy about this, when the mom's sleeping in the nursery and the dad's sleeping in the bed, and the, the, you know, and everybody's like sleeping in different places. I remember, oh, so there was this one couple that had been doing that for five years, and so, um, and it was a long process, actually. I, we worked together for like three, four months to, to actually get their child to sleep independently in their bed. And so we were on the phone, and the mom's like, we're like sleeping in the same bed again, and we don't even know what to do. I'm like, okay. So that's a whole other topic, because <laughs> there are things you guys could do. <laughs> you know, like, yeah, that was like, oh, wow, okay. Um, yeah, there's some fun things you guys could do. <laughs> but, so yeah, so you just, you let the child, at two years old, this is part of positive parenting, too, is that most kids at around a year and a half could do a lot more themselves but we do a lot for them. And so it's giving that, uh, re- that uh, like, uh, motivation and reward of, like, I do it. If you have a, t- I mean, I do it, right? Like, that's something toddlers say all the time. I do it. So he gets to pick out. He gets to help out, make the bed. You know, he gets to put the pillow there. He gets to select the things he wants in it. You know, there's a lot of ownership of the bed, and that usually helps with the transition. Yeah. If they can climb out, they're, it's like literally saying, I, I'm, I'm old enough. It's like, here's another scenario where a lot of parents ask, is, is, are they ready to potty train? And um, it's when you're, when you're fighting diaper changes. So you're, you're laying them down and they're fighting, they're like wanting to stand up. And we switch over, when that happens, we switch over to stand up diaper changes, literally. Like we stand up and change the diaper like that. And miraculously, all the tantrums of diaper changes are gone. Because the child's saying, I'm not a baby anymore. Stop laying me down. I'm like two. You know, so same thing with um, the crib. If they're constantly climbing out, it's like saying, I'm not a baby anymore. Stop keeping me in this little baby crib. I'm getting out. So they're able to, they're totally able to sleep in a toddler bed. When you when you switch over? Yeah. 
So that gets into where positive parenting comes in. And I can send you my positive parenting handout. So it comes with logical consequences. Like, as a family, we let others sleep. So when you wake up, you can come out, but you can't wake up your brother, you know? And then what's a logical consequence that would happen if you go wake up your brother? That's not a punishment. It's like, and now you lose all your games or all your um, media, because that had nothing to do with waking them up. But what's a, a more connected um, consequence that would happen if you did that? And, you, you, and I have a whole hand on that, so I can send it to you. Um, and so that, that's not so much a sleep issue as it is a positive parenting issue. Yeah, and they can totally learn that when they wake up, okay, I don't wake them up, I, don't, I, I walk out of the bedroom, and they can learn that as toddlers. Yeah. Okay. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, like, I'll be back. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah. 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 Um, do you actually come back? Okay, so then... <laughs> Bummer. <laughs> Then yes, I would change that. Um, but <laughs> but you could change it to something close. I mean, you can change it to I'm going to be in the living room until until you fall asleep, and then I you know then I'm going to check in on you afterwards. So you can just change it to, and that's probably what you're actually doing. You're right. You're yeah. So just say it's something along those lines, and you probably are checking in on her afterwards to see that she's yeah. So just say that. I'm going to, because she knows that she's got, what, what she's clinging on to is mommy's going to still come back. She's going to still check on me. You know, so she feels safe and secure. So, but you're not actually doing that. So then, but, but you are going to check in on her at another time. So you just say, mommy's going to stay awake. I'm going to be in the living room until you fall asleep. And then I'm going to come and check in on you. Yeah, and that's just not a lie, you know? It's like basically it's exactly what I'm doing, which still should make her feel safe and secure. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh, you're not the only mom. <laughs> it's like, I'll be right back. <laughs> I'm just going to get a drink of water. It's like an hour later. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we do what we got to do sometimes. <laughs> okay, so... Let's just talk real quick about the holidays, um, and we can go to the next slide. So keep in mind, the holidays, there are many people, there are many changes, there's many places. And just because you know those people, it could be your aunt, your uncle, your cousin, you know, grandma, grandpa, like, just because you know them doesn't mean they know them. And they're strangers to your child. So um, you have to have some sort of respect to that, to the fact that, yeah, I know everybody wants to hold the baby, or I know everybody wants, you know, to do something with the toddler, but he doesn't know you. <laughs> like, he hasn't seen you in a year or two years. So um, here's some of the things that I recommend, and we'll go to the next slide. And hopefully you guys can see on the next slide. Oh. Okay. Okay. New people, you're the middle person. So let's say it's a baby. And, and, you know, Aunt Joe really wants to hold the baby, and the baby has never seen Aunt Joe. So it's a stranger as far as the baby's concerned. So you have to mentor that this person is okay. I'm okay with this person, so it's okay to be okay with this person. So you would sit, for example, on the sofa and hold the baby and then have Aunt Joe sit next to you. And, you know, and you both can touch the baby while you're the middle person until the child feels comfortable enough to now be handed over to Aunt Joe. So same thing with the toddler. If they want to play with the toddler, then don't, you know, don't just give the toddler and be like, great, entertainment. I got a little break. You know, like, hang out for a little bit and be that transition of I'm okay with this person and we're okay, you're safe and secure, and then you can walk out once you see, like, okay, they've transitioned into them. 
So you're the middle person. Um, plan based around your child's schedule, especially if you have the youngest baby in the family, you kind of, you, you know, you have, you kind of win because you're like, I got the youngest baby, so my schedule is a little different. But if at all possible, try to see if some of the um, festivities can be planned around the baby's schedule or your kid's schedule, if possible. When you can't do naps, you still got to do quiet time. So kids can't go for four, five, six hours, even though they seem like they can. Remember overactivity, where they just like over hyper. When your kid's like really hyper, they're usually overtired. So you want to bring them back down. So if you can't do a nap, then go sit in a quiet room and have a, a story time for 15, 20 minutes. Just bring it back down again. Um, another thing is if you have a really active day, like there's tons of activity that happened, all the family came, the next day, plan a calm day. Like it's not Disney for the first time and then I don't know, what's the, you know, pretense, no, we play it loud. <laughs> we play it loud, you know, the second day. Like, that's way overstimulation. So a very calm, a, a very calm day follows after a very active day. Another tip is if you, um, especially for the younger babies, um, baby wearing. I'm like, I know I saw somebody baby wearing. <laughs> so um, baby wearing makes, you know, a child feel really safe and secure, plus it's comfortable for you because you get your hands. Um, so it's a good way also to introduce a child to new family members as well because you definitely are the middle person when you're holding them. Sometimes you can do naps in it. And remember, as long as you've set a really patterned um, routine, in place, you can do that for a day and it's gonna be okay. And the next day, it's not like your child's gonna be like, okay, no, all the naps have to be baby wearing. Like that was one day. Um, so you can make that adjustment with baby wearing. Okay, another tip is don't do it alone. So you can't be the only crusader of good sleep for in, in your family. Um, you, it really, really is helpful to get your partner on board, full support on board. So that when you say, we can't attend this activity, if we attend it, my toddler's gonna be crazy for the rest of the afternoon, that your partner backs you up as well. Um, and especially if his, you know, his family. Also, as it gets a little hectic, um, as it gets a little hectic with the changes during the holidays, keep in mind this is not where you'll stay. So a lot of times when I'm working through sleep changes, the parent will get, you know, usually the mom will get like, oh my God, it's so hard through the changes and, and like her whole world stayed in that place that she's going through. And I have to remind her, this isn't, we're not done. This isn't actually where you're gonna end up. We're gonna progress and it's actually gonna be really good. We're just making a change right now. So if it gets a little crazy, you don't have to stay there. You can make all the changes after the holiday. Okay, I have more tips on the next slide. <laughs> Mommy duty. <laughs> okay, be really picky about what you say yes or no to. You know, um, if this is your first holiday with, with babies, keep in mind it looks a little different than before you had babies. So be picky about what you agree. You don't have to do everything. Be consistent with your daily and your sleep routines wherever possible. If you can't, you can't, but get back to it as soon as you can. Respect your baby's cycle. Just because you're not tired and you want to do this thing doesn't mean your baby's not exhausted. So find ways to get a little downtime or nap in or baby wearing to get that sleep in. Um, begin your, your own traditions. So I thought that was fabulous when I had my daughter, and especially as she turned like two, where she recognized it was a holiday. I'm like, I can do my own traditions. I don't always have to upload my whole family, you know, to go join somebody else's tradition. So you can start those with yours, and that's going to help with some of the stress of the holidays. And then if there are a lot of changes, for those of you who are going to do a ton of changes during the holidays, it can take two to three weeks for your child to get over those changes afterwards. So be really gentle with yourself, really gentle with your child, and get right back to your routine and your patterns after the holidays. Okay. And the last slide, you can't see it that closely, but that's my oldest and my youngest. <laughs> and um, okay, so... I have a few more minutes if anybody had, yeah, yeah. Uh, can you, do you have any tips you can share about like saving 
Oh, yes. <laughs> One that we should get rid of it. <laughs> like, after this, like, I like the fall one because, you know, bedtime is early, and, um, but no spring. Like, we should just stop doing this. But um, here's what I do. I do nothing. I don't do the whole, like, put them down 15 minutes early and, like, pre-work before you have to work. I do nothing. We act like it never happened. So it's happening Sunday, right? Is it Sunday? So Sunday morning is, okay, so Sunday night, bedtime's still at 8. And obviously, they're going to start to get tired at around, you know, 7.30. So most likely, we'll go to sleep around 7.30, 7.45. And then the next day, bedtime's still at 8. And if they can't make it to 8, then we'll push it, you know, just a little bit, five minutes or so. Bedtime's still at 8 and until we get to 8. And that's usually about a week. And we're at the new bedtime. Yeah. So your bedtime that you normally have for him, um, what you'll do is you'll still think of it as that bedtime, even with the time change. So everything will have shift naturally so, meaning I'll use 8 o'clock because that's my kid's bedtime, except for my teenager. So 8 o'clock, that's still bedtime. So they wake up at around 7. Um, I have to wake up two of them, but they wake up at 7 if, if they weren't woken up. So that means that Sunday night, they'll probably go to sleep 7.30, 7.45, and they'll wake up a little bit before 7. And then as I keep pushing towards just that being 8 o'clock bedtime, so I keep seeing, getting them closer and closer to that bedtime, their morning will also adjust, and they'll go back to waking up at around 7. So you just keep, your bedtime is what you stick to as the new time. You don't go back, like, now if you were to change the bedtime, be like, okay, new bedtime is seven, then yeah, wake time's gonna be six o'clock for me. So I stick to that same bedtime and everything adjusts. And I've been doing that for 14 years. <laughs> I'm like, daylight doesn't even happen in my household. I also keep summer the same. I, some of you that will have, you know, have preschoolers and School-age kids, I do the same thing. I don't have like a summer schedule. My kids will complain every time. They're like, it's eight o'clock and it's daylight. They're still playing basketball outside. <laughs> and I'm like, it's bedtime. And they go to bed, but they're asleep in like 15 minutes. So I'm like, what's your point, guys? Like you're still asleep by 8.30, the latest. You guys are all still asleep. So I keep the same bedtime because it doesn't, they don't know seasons. Their body still needs the same solid sleep. And um, for reference, my 12-year-old, my 10-year-old, my 6-year-old go to bed by 8. So we have quiet time starting at around 7.30. And then they have reading time from 7.30 to like 8 o'clock because I wind it down. And they go to sleep at 8. They are out. By 8.30, there's n none of them are awake. And then they sleep, obviously, till 7. Um, and then my teenage daughter goes to see, oh, she's good. She, she discovered straightening her hair. So she wakes up early to straightening her hair. I'm like, oh, you'll learn. You'll learn that it's not worth it. But right now she'll wake up like at 545 to straighten her hair. So she's learned. She's got to go to bed by 830 on her own. She's like, I'm out. Cause I got to wake up at 545 to straighten my hair. Um, yeah, I know. I'm like, you know, I, I. I went through that. I'm like, I know like the things we do. You got to learn your own path. Um, but she recognizes the value of sleep. So instead of going to sleep at 9, which she used to, she'll go to sleep like between 8 and 8.30 because, you know, she's got to straighten out her hair. <laughs> um, and, and normally her wake up would have been 6 because they have to take the bus at 7. Um, but anyway, I usually point out my kids' bedtimes because I'll have babies or parents of like toddlers whose bedtimes are like 9 and 10. Yeah, and they're waking up at like 6 and 7. I'm like, here's my 12-year-old. He sleeps from 8 to 7. You know, and I have to wake him up early during the school year. But I have to wake him. Like, he would sleep till 7. Kids need solid sleep. So um, those, these are ways to do it. Most toddlers go to sleep between 6.30 and 7 o'clock. That's usually a pretty standard bedtime for them. Mm-hmm. 
H is when they are done napping. Quiet time. You still have quiet time. The day still has this flow of like activity, yay, and then downtime. And activity, yay, and then downtime. And you have this flow going on. Yeah. Twelve to fourteen hours a day for ages twelve months. I'd have to look at my own website, but I think it's like one to three is twelve to fourteen hours. So if she's sleeping from ten p.m. to ten a.m. and then taking a one to two hour nap, then that would be getting her the max amount of sleep. Yeah. <laughs> and also think about this: ten o'clock or nine o'clock, especially if you're a stay-at-home mom. You're on from like wake up to like nine and 10 o'clock. So where's your time? Like you get none. And the beauty of the early bedtime, the 6.30 to seven, it's like, yeah, you get all you see, but oh my goodness, I also get my time. You know, it's like I get my winding down time where I'm not having to actively be on. I have to actually say, say that to my daughter because I tell her I check out at eight. I'm like, the three went to bed, mommy's checking out. And that's when she wants to tell me all the things, you know? <laughs> I'm like, okay, come on and tell me all the things. <laughs> but yeah, like we need our, our own time. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Okay, so if you're planning on having another one? Oh, you are. Okay, and how old is your first one? Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 So I think with weaning, you have to be emotionally ready to wean. Um, so, and, and when you are, it's like, okay, now it's time to, to do it. Cause it's not, it's not going to be easy. Cause he senses, he knows you're pregnant, you know, even if he doesn't understand the biology of pregnancy, you know, he knows there's a change. People are talking about it. You know, she's talking about it. So, so that makes them extra clingy. It makes them like, I need, I need to feel safe and secure because there's these changes that I'm sensing. So it makes it harder to wean for sure. The longer you wait, the harder it'll be. So I take about a month to wean, um, the weaning process, about a month. And basically, I don't offer anymore. So I'll, I'll, I'll do like a few days of just um, letting them come to me as opposed to me doing active like nursings. I remember when I was nursing, I offered a lot. They'd be like, oh, you're sad. You know, like all this. Okay, so no offering at all. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, so what I do then is you cut out one at a time. And so um, whether it's the after wake up time or the after when you come home time, you cut out one at a time. And you offer another form of, of comfort, um, holding, snuggling. Another thing I did was um, even for all the other ones, I would, I would sing a song. So I would be like, okay, we're going to nurse until the ABC song is done. So A, B, C, and the first time it was saying it normal, you know, like A, B, C, D, and then eventually it's like A, B, C, D, E, F, G, H, I, J, K, and then it just got really, really fast, and so I would just transition the, all the other ones to really short nursing sessions. As, yes, so cut one at a time, but shorten all the other ones through a song, because the song has a beginning and an end which they understand. They know it's going, okay, there's going to be an end, and that's when we stop, as opposed to you just space and time saying we're done.
Yes. <laughs> Next thing you know, someone's nursing on you. So you do other activity. When you know it's coming up, you do something else. Like you go out or you go to a play thing. Like you just, you add another form of entertainment. Yeah. And, um, and I take a month because it helps your, your milk to reduce within that month so you don't get like mastitis or plug ducts. And then it's slow transition one at a time. So take a good month to do that. He will ask to nurse when she, because he sees, wow, whenever she's with mom, she is getting all of mom whenever she's nursing. So I want that, you know? And so then they'll, they'll ask to nurse. Unless you want to go full on nursing again, I would not let him nurse. <laughs> yeah. 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 Any other questions? Yeah. Well, I am having a hard time hearing. Yeah. And she stays in the bed. Yeah. So that's a... Are you okay with that? Like, do you, are you fine? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, is that new? Okay, so then... That's new. So then ask or yourself, like, figure out what changed? What changes did we do? that would have made her feel that she needs that extra attachment. So it could have been anything. I mean, just really look at your life, your own life and your partner's life, and then her life and see, I mean, I've even had it where it was, we started going to this play group once a week. You know, it's like any one change is usually related to that. Um, yeah. 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 And playing alone is developmentally healthy, you know, to be able to have independent play um, and for the creativity as well. Um, so if you don't want her in your bed, I would not start with her in the bed. Now for her, she, she's three and a half. So she knows if I come to the bed, I get to stay in the bed. So why not? Like, I'll do that. That sounds great. I get to sleep with them. They're, they let me. Um, Yes. So if you don't want her in the bed, you would talk to her before bedtime and you would say, baby, we sleep in our beds. So when you come to my bed at nighttime, we're going to walk back because this is what we do. So I use a lot of this is what we do. So that is not me, but the household unit. This is what we do. So when my son would do that and he'd come out, you know, like, and he's out, like, no, this is what we do. We go back to the bed. So I would get to the root of that. So um, there's the steps in, in positive parenting, which you repeat over and over and over and over again, is you make a connection first. So you get to her eye level so that she's looking at you, and then you validate it. And so you say you don't want to sleep alone, and you don't want to sleep, and you don't want to play alone. You don't like that. You know, so you spend some time validating it, and until she goes, yes. You know, like she gives body language that you got it. And then I would empathize. It's not that fun to play alone. Like, I don't want to do everything alone. Like, I don't like that either. I like people. You know, you can empathize with her. And then you troubleshoot. So it's like, okay. So 
I know you don't want to play alone, and you figure out why she doesn't want to play alone. So if she can talk, she should be able to tell you. And then you find a solution for that. So you troubleshoot in which way she could have what she needs, and you could also have what you need. And you come up with a solution together. But first is figuring out the why. Yeah, you can say, I will put, um, figure out the why, and then once you figure out the why, it's the only reason, the only way you can actually troubleshoot correctly. Um, but once you figure out the, the why, it, it could be, I'm going to put a 15-minute timer, and I'm going to do my alone thing, or dishes or whatever it is that you do, and you're going to do your alone thing, and when it goes bing, then we're going to do story time together. Yeah. So let's say that she doesn't want to be alone because she's scared. So you have to figure out the reason, but let's say it's that. Um, then if it's, whatever the reason is, is the key. So when she tells you the reason, let's say it's scared, then you can say, so let's get, you know, a stuffed animal or whatever. Let's get something in your bed that's gonna, that, that you want there. Um, and you can offer that as a solution. Or you can tell her, you know, we sleep in our bed and you sleep in your bed. And then when you wake up, we're together again. So, but figure out the why, because there's always a why. So what we do as parents is we assume the why. We're like, oh, this is why they're doing that. And the thing is, they have their why. <laughs> so you have to dig to figure out why, why are they saying that? And you can't say, why are you saying that? Because you'll get nothing. So you have to actually go through the validation process where she tells you the why. Um, and the validation process is a lot of parents will do it really fast. I know, I know, you don't like that, you don't like, and then they move on to, but this is what we're going to do. And the kids like, that didn't work, you know. So you have to actually like spend time in the validation because there's a why. And then th the only way you can troubleshoot is if you know the actual reason. And she knows it. So you have to just figure out a way to have her tell it to you. Yeah. If they can, even, I've even done the validation, empathy, troubleshoot process with kids who can't say a word. Like there was a little 15-month-old, and they, they could show with body language that, that we were getting to the actual reason. So if they can talk, it's like golden. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yeah. That's, uh, yeah. But spend time. Don't ask her why. Don't tell, tell, don't say tell mommy, you know, like. Yeah, so then if, if that's what it is, then how can we make her bed comfortable? So does she want a blanket like yours? Does she want a pillow like yours? Like you can figure out if that's what it is, how can we make her bed comfortable? Yeah, and then you put your boundary. Your boundary is you don't want her in your bed. So then you figure out how can we find a solution that, we're, that you're happy with and I can also work with, but this is my boundary. Yeah. Any other questions? All right. Oh, sorry. I went way over. <laughs> All righty. So um, thank you so much. So what I want to do, oh, I got my purse back there. I'm going to hand out my postcards, and, and you guys can just distribute them amongst yourselves. Um, for the presentation, if you guys want it, we'll figure out, I'll talk to Lou, and we'll figure out a way for you guys to get it if you need additional notes. Um, if you come up with any question after or you want my parenting, uh, positive parenting handout, I have a handout because one thing I do is a toddler class. And so we meet every, every week for six weeks. And then I have a handout that's pretty much the whole class and I'd be happy to give it to you if you need that. Um, and any other question that you think about, you can get my contact from my website. It's GiselleBomay.com. Like most of you, I do really good with text messages. <laughs> I do really bad with phone calls because I have kids. Um, and then email. You can email me as well. All right. Thank you so much for having me over. Thank you.